Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to Countdown to Kickoff. I am your host, Anthony Denmark, Denmark Life the Country, a.k.a. Copenhagen, a.k.a. Denny. And this episode is brought to you by EatDrinkSleepSports.com. And since sports never stop, since sports never sleep, that means we always have something to talk about. And since Mason's back, heck, I'm back, you're back, let's go ahead and discuss the latest happenings in the world of college sports. Let's get it. And welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back to Countdown to Kickoff. I'm your host, the one and only Anthony Denmark, Denmark like the country. And as usual, we have a lot of things on tap for today's show. We are going to try to squeeze in as much as possible. You guys know that old saying where they say, two's company, three's a crowd? Well, no more does that saying reign true than two of the particular programs that we're going to be covering tonight. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about talking to writers who write for the South Carolina Gamecocks and also writers who write for Penn State. Because, of course, we do know in this particular situation that quote that I just said seriously does reign true. In the Big Ten, when we talk about dominant football programs, we oftentimes find ourselves only listing Penn State after mentioning Ohio State and Michigan. When we talk about dominant coaches at South Carolina, we often find ourselves mentioning Don Staley and, of course, right now Frank Martin, who are both in the Final Four, and then we mention Will Muschamp. So in situations like this, where three is supposed to be a crowd, is there room for these programs to be able to continue to be dominant? Or do we see that three dominant programs at one particular campus or one particular conference is just a crowd? So that's what we're going to talk about on today's show. Right now, I am happy to say that we have 156 days until week one of the college football season. Now, of course, right now we do know that spring practices are opening up all around the country. Most college football programs, I believe, are in at least their second week of practices, and now we have our eyes set on spring games. We have our eyes set on what we want to see. We're looking towards the early enrollee freshman or junior college transfer that came in with all the hype. Where does he fit in? Will he stand out, or will he find himself getting overwhelmed by the complexities of a college playbook? Again, we're going to find out these questions, and I'm more than excited. I'm more than overjoyed, as I'm more than sure that my college football fans are as well. Because let's be real. Don't get me wrong. March Madness is fun. But like I've said in past podcasts, March Madness is the appetizer. We know that at the end of the day, college football will and will always remain to be the main course. So, Without further ado, let's go ahead and have our first guest on. His name is Shane Luna. He writes for to find out what's happening and what's up in Happy Valley. Because right now, expectations cannot be higher. They only would have been higher if they won the Rose Bowl. But, you know, we're going to see what happens. Let's go ahead and find out what's up. Welcome hey, to the Anthony, show. Hey, uh, Anthony. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks for having me back on the show, Anthony. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, of course, we do know that Penn State is entering into, is about to close out a second week of spring practice. One of the things that stuck out to me most prominently is a quote that James Franklin said. He said, we are at a point now where good is no longer enough. And that's a great quote when you think about where Penn State has come from to this particular point. After an epic Rose Bowl performance, the momentum in Happy Valley cannot be higher. I mean, Jesus Christ, it cannot be higher. Saquon Barkley blazing at pro days, salivated NFL scout, Trace Shorley, of course, shooting his arrow. And, of course, you know, it seems as if the NCAA Saints are now almost completely behind them. Tell me a little bit about what are things like on campus right now? What are things uh, – how are things like on campus right now? Well, like you said, uh, expectations are through the roof. Um, we're coming off a Big Ten championship from last year and, you know, came out of nowhere to, to do that. And and so now people are – the expectations are high just to, you know, are we going to get back there and, and, and repeat and not only win the Big Ten again but also get to the college football playoff. That's that's what everybody's talking about right now. So as James Franklin, uh, you know, alluded to, this is like the first – Spring in several seasons that we had the, you know the the full allotment of scholarships. Um, so the roster attrition is for the most part gone. Um, you have a normal looking roster between the different classes, which is great. You don't have that, you know, uh, heavy of sophomore and fresh freshman as much as you know we have all the senior leader. We have more senior leadership now. Um, so for the first time in a while, it's been a quiet spring. Actually, we're just working on getting better. Um, so along those lines, James Franklin has, uh, noted that more experienced players are getting, uh, more, you know, having lighter workloads in the spring players like Barkley, uh, Jason Cabinda and Marcus Allen. Um, they're taking, you know, resting their bodies for, you know, the fall practices. And, and so that's giving, um, younger players, uh, to get, uh, chances to get more reps, which is, which is great. Um, and then the other the other things uh, that are going on, uh, you had you had said about Franklin just wants to maintain uh, his focus on, you know, maintaining that attitude from last year's team, um, and and trying to avoid complacency. You know, you got to just focus on getting better week after week, and and that's what they're doing right now. So quiet spring, not a lot. I mean, not a lot of things going on. You, they're just working on getting better every week. There hasn't been any real injury talk. There's not that coming in there wondering who's going to be the quarterback, who's going to be on that offensive line. We kind of have a lot of that stuff locked down. So it's great that it's a quiet spring. Absolutely. I'm more than sure that a lot of college campuses across the country wish, wish that they could boast that things are quiet, no arrests to report, no crashes, no any no incidents that, of course, would bring shame or embarrassment to the program. Uh, nevertheless, we do know that the spring does provide a wonderful opportunity uh, for players to, uh, you know, get opportunities to stand out. And so with uh, spring, with the second week of spring practice about to wrap up, what are some of your observations? Who are some guys that you've seen stand out thus far in the practice? Um, so far, well, one of the big things, everybody talks about Saquon Barkley, but you got to also talk about their, you know, Miles Sanders behind him. Uh, you have, you know, highly touted recruit uh, last year, five-star recruit. Um he didn't get a lot of reps last year because of what Barkley was doing. But when he was in there, he had a lot of ball security issues. Um, so he's been working on that a lot. The other major storyline for him this 
uh, this spring was that he bulked up from 200 to 225 pounds. So he's more of the playing uh, weight, closer to the playing weight that uh, Barkley carries. So if you know, it, we'll see how much of a jump he can make this year, and if he gets more reps behind Barkley, it'd be great to have. They are just loaded at depth. I, I mean, I don't even have time to talk about how many running backs they have. Um, if they, uh, if, if Sanders can make that jump, we'll see him. He's going to be because there's no question in everybody's mind that Barkley is going to make the jump to the to the pros next year. I mean, so this is going to be his last year in Happy Valley. So Sanders has got to make that jump to the next level and, and see if he can be the guy to start in uh, in 2018. Um, other guys that the people have been talking about because they have to replace um, on the defensive side of the ball. They have to replace both defensive ends because Garrett Sickles and Evan Schwann have moved on to the uh, pros. So the the leaders of that uh, right now are Sharif Miller and Torrance Brown, basically on the experience that they had last year playing there. Um, but the other guys behind them, you, we got to keep an eye on uh, redshirt, both redshirt freshmen, Shaka Tony and Shane Simmons. They've been playing pretty well in practice are doing well in practices and the highly touted by the coaching staff. So they're looking to earn a rotation or a spot in that road in the defensive end rotation as well. Um, the big player everybody's talking about um, on campus is our early enrollee Lamont Wade, the cornerback. Um, he was pegged by many recruiting experts as the top high school player in the, in the state of Pennsylvania last year in this class. Um, so the staff is expecting him to learn the defense pretty quickly and even though there's so much depth at the cornerback cornerback position, he's going to be too talented to keep off the field. And so we'll see him in some kind of capacity this year, whether he gets some reps at the corner position or uh, special teams for sure. Absolutely. And I'm speaking to Shane Lunan. He writes for VictoryBellRings.com and wrote a great article uh, talking about the depth chart at running back, so make sure you guys check it out. Now, of course, we do know entering into the spring and also, of course, eventually into the fall, each player, I guess, to a degree, is given a list of things that they want to try to work on and improve. Now, of course, they do know with five-star Lamont Wade, of course, his goal is to try to uh, the playbook down. And, of course, we do know that once he's able to get that down, the talent will, of course, take over. But in the case of Tracy McShorley, who, of course, you know, kind of entered last season a little bit unheralded. He was the guy that followed uh, James Franklin from Vanderbilt. But tell me, my listeners, a little bit about what are some areas of improvement uh, that uh, – Trace expected to work on uh, in the spring and fall? Uh, for sure, he needs to work on reducing his mistakes. I mean, as much good as he did last year, especially, you know, in the second half of that season, um, he had problems with interceptions, and they seemed to come in in bunches. Uh, you saw in the first part of the year where he was still learning um, Joe Moorhead's offense, he, he was forcing some things. It came to bite him in, in the pick game. It almost came to bite him in the Indiana game later in the year when he threw two interceptions that game, and they had to come back in the fourth quarter. And then, of course, in the Rose Bowl where he threw two early interceptions and then the costly one at the end of the game that that USC went down, uh, took that and turned it into the game-winning points. So uh, just getting that cleaned up, that area, you know, cutting down those interceptions. He only had eight all year. Doesn't sound like a lot, but if you have that, you know, you're you're going you're gonna to definitely improve. Um, his also the other thing he needs to work on is his completion percentage. He had a 57.9 uh, completion percentage last year, which is in the latter half of the you know, of quarterbacks in, in Division One football. Um, against Minnesota and Ohio State, he completed less than 50%, and then he was hovering around 50% uh, 
and three other games last year. So just working on that. He's got Chris Godwin has has graduated. That was his number one target receiver. So just working out with his new receivers, um, trying to improve on that, and you know, just his decision making is going to get better. I think you know having that one year under his belt um, and learning from those mistakes that he made early on last year, I, I think it's going to make him even better this year. Absolutely. Now, of course, we do. I do want to ask one particular question. We do know that this weekend is the Final Four. And uh, one of the teams participating in the Final Four is UNC, which at this particular juncture has been under NCAA investigation for at least, what, eight years? And we have yet to get any type of outcome. And I I maybe want to ask you specifically, you know, since you cover Penn State, when you look at how the NCAA has dealt with Penn State, how it dealt with Miami, how it dealt with USC, does it make you feel a certain kind of way to see that everything that Penn State had to do to get back to where it is right now when it seems as if UNC has been able to just continue to go forth unharmed, unpunished. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it is interesting. I mean, every every situation is different. Every school has their own thing. And NCAA doesn't have any consistency. That's been shown between all the different penalties they, they've handed out. I mean, I look at it this way – you're, we're comparing a college football program to a college basketball program. And despite college basketball being huge in its own right, you know, and everything, when it comes down to it, there's more money involved in football. College football is bigger, more hope, high profile. Um, yeah, the Final Four is going on. Everybody's hyped up about that. But when it comes to everybody looks forward to college football. And that it's just that is the cash cow for the, for the NCAA. And so, you know, don't want to rehash this again with the Penn State situation, you know, but, you know, the whole thing with them and then everything now that's a similar, not different, but similar situation with going on with Baylor. Um, it, we're going to see how the NCAA responds there, you know, and going back to USC, they had a big program, you know, they had a big name player in Reggie Bush. And, and so, and they were also in the midst of, Ohio, Ohio State investigation, Miami investigation at that time. So they were just looking to make a statement there. It just seems like, you know, they they just want to make big statements with the football programs. I don't know what's going on with the basketball programs. UNC, they have academic fraud. It's in a totally different universe than what happened at, you know, Penn State and Baylor. Um, they, you know, I was reading earlier today, they received a third notice of allegations and, that deadline to respond to that is passed. So who knows what's going on with that? It has, like you had stated, it's been going on for several years now. And it, at some point we're going to get a conclusion, but I think when it comes down to it, it's, it's football is King. And, and so the NCAA no, likes to expedite things differently there when it compare comparing to basketball. Absolutely. Shane, I want to thank you for coming on to the show and I, I definitely want to have you on throughout the offseason and, of course, during the season. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Anthony. Have a good one. Now, of course, you know, one of the things that Shane said is true, you know, and I open my show always talking about it, how I say that March Madness is the appetizer and college football will and continue will always be uh, the main course. So with that saying in mind, I guess I really should not be surprised at how differently uh, the NCAA chooses to handle situation when it comes to basketball compared to football. But, I mean, you just look at the stark differences in regards to how things are taking place. You look at the tap on the wrist that uh, Rick Pacino got down in Louisville. You look 
that uh, was continuing to go on at UNC. I heard heard and read in the paper people spouting off the praises of Roy Williams. They talked about during his tenure at UNC. He's gone to five Final Fours, eight Elite Eights, and been and been in two national championship games and won one. And immediately I said to myself, well, Jesus Christ, that's awesome. But so that took place during this NCAA, ongoing NCAA investigation. And although, of course, people are projecting that UNC may likely win the national championship, you have to truly ask yourself the question, when that banner does go up, how long will that banner remain and which banners will come down? Because we do know that the investigation into UNC not only implicated the football program, but also, of course, implicated the basketball program as well as Roy Williams. So how that whole situation ultimately ends up playing out, we're definitely going to see what's happening. And, of course, eventually, we hope, we are definitely going to see what's up. Now, of course, right now, we're entering into an uncharted territory when it comes to college sports in the state of South Carolina. And for me, anyway, I'm absolutely excited. I guess, you know, since I pay my taxes in the state of South Carolina, to a degree I feel as if I owe it to myself to share in the pageantry, share in the excitement of everything that's currently taking place in this great state. In just a year's time, we've witnessed Clemson win a national championship, its first one since 1985, and just this week we've witnessed the college basketball programs, both men's and women's, both reemerge as being the two teams in the Final Four. And that's something that's absolutely amazing. That's something that's absolutely rare. Seeing what Don Staley's done at USC and seeing what Frank Martin has done at USC as well makes people realize that, you know, we're doing some special things down in the Palmetto State. However, it also makes you realize that, you know what, the pressure now is on Will Muschamp. Will Muschamp now finds himself at a university where it seems as if winning has now become a habit, and the expectation is that USC is going to continue to do similar things on the football field. But to get those answers about what things are going on at USC and more, let's go ahead and get our other caller on the line. His name is Stephen Wise, and he writes for the USC Gamecocks. Welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going, Anthony? It's going great. Now, I, for one, I live in South Carolina. I know you do as well. Tell my listeners a little bit about how the momentum and the excitement is in the city uh, towards the USC uh, basketball, basketball, men's and women's basketball program. I mean, I think that the, the basketball teams, both the men and the women, have kind of united the state together. You saw Ben Woolworth tweeted out, uh, he's a linebacker from Clemson, for those of you who do not know, he tweeted out that he, uh, he tweeted out support for the team. I think I mean it's not, it's brought a lot of hope to the state. Uh, I know that five years ago, Frank Martin, when he came here, we'd won nine games the year before, and here we are sitting with a. I mean, here South Carolina is sitting with a. I mean, with the school record in wins at 26. I mean, he's done a lot to bring the program around. I think that's just got a level of excitement that I haven't seen in a while as far as sports go. I mean, a lot of people are really excited for what this team can do, and I think they can go. I mean, I think they can definitely take home a national championship if they do what they need to do. Absolutely. Now, of course, we do know that supposedly where we live at, this is supposed to be SEC country, a.k.a. football country. But we do know that we see that, you know, the success of the basketball program has also had an impact 
on the uh, football team as well. Uh, we did know that uh, Will Buschamp had to move the spring game to this Saturday at 12 o'clock because of the Final Four success of both uh, the men's and women's basketball program. How has uh, Will Muschamp used that momentum towards the basketball program, towards the football team? I mean, I think it definitely inspires them to see that if a team that was in such a bad shape as the basketball program was playing um, at a final, like get play at a high level to get to a Final Four, that kind of shows them that as a football team that, yeah, they were 3-9 and nine two years ago, but if a basketball team can come back that far, what could the football do coming off a 3-9 and nine season? And now they're 6-7. and seven. I mean, they obviously made huge strides last year. I mean, the bar's set high, um, but in my opinion, they're not looking at that saying, oh, we need to be a championship team this year. You know what I mean? Like, they're going to look at that and be like, okay, it took them a couple years to get the program where it needs to be. And I'd probably shoot realistically 2018-2019 when they'll be in the legitimate conversation for an SEC title. Now, again, of course, we do know that one of the things that one of the most important positions to fill in order to have you having success on the football field is, of course, your quarterback. And it seems as if South Carolina definitely found their quarterback, uh, Jake Bentley, who, of course, you know, left high school early and has thrived in his first year as the, being at the being the number one quarterback in game class nation. Uh, what do you see strides-wise in regards to what progress you expect to see him make during the spring in order to take that next step? I think it's going to be a big jump from Jake Bentley. Now, he looked really good last year. He had a good pocket presence, had the ability to move up in the face of pressure. He actually set a USC record for freshmen, posting a 65.8% uh, completion percentage. I think that with a full spring, because last year um, when he came in, he came in during the summer, and so he missed spring practice. And that's huge to miss all those practices. I mean, that's a solid eight weeks of practice. And so now that he's got that on his belt, as well as uh, he's got seven starts, I think we're going to see a lot from him. Because, you know, last year he put up over 1,400 yards, with a two-to-one uh, touchdown-to-interception ratio. I mean, he's he showed the tools. He showed flashes last year, definitely, um, of, a, of a potential franchise quarterback even at the next level. I think Jake Bentley is the kind of guy that can put Carolina back on the map. He's a guy that he's been around a year now. He's been a, he's been a year in the system. He's got weapons around him that Carolina hasn't seen in a while. Um, I'm telling you what, Jake Bentley has the potential to be a dark horse candidate for an um, all-SEC spot this year. Absolutely, Ken. I'm on the line with Stephen Wise. He covers the South Carolina Gamecocks. Now, of course, we do know that Will Muschamp's calling card is two things, recruiting and defense. Now, on the defensive side of the ball, the Gamecocks lose both of their two leading edge rushers, who, of course, they lost them to graduation. Uh, who do you see appear to appear poised during the spring to be poised to kind of fill in those slots and uh, fill in uh, that such a significant amount of uh, production? Um, one guy, especially off the edge, is Shamik Blackshear. In high school, he was uh, in the conversation to be one of the like the number one overall prospect in his class. So he's got the potential. Um, Zach Bailey talked about him a little bit in an interview I saw a while back, saying that he's got the speed when he wants to. Work ethics in the issue with him and keeping him on the field. But when he wants to, he said he's got the speed and the quickness to get off the line. If Shamik Blackshear puts in the work and the, the coaching staff puts him in the situation to win, which I think they will. I think we got a great coaching staff in place. I really think that Shamik Blackshear can be a guy that surprises. I think he, uh, he has potential to be a household name by the end of the season. Um, also, Daniel Fennell is another guy that people are talking about to potentially step into that um, weak side role that um, Darius Ingles played last year. They're talking about him. Um, Taylor Stallworth in the middle. Even though he played more of a run-stopping presence last year, 
I feel like his experience as a senior will help lead him to generate pressure at the middle. Now, he's not going to be a big sack guy, but the fact that the interior pressure can set up guys like Shamik Blackshear, kind of like a Kawan short way for the, pa- for the Panthers, just have that interior pass rush that can set the edge rushers up for success um, in sack totals. Now, one of the things that's often unique is it's rare that, you know, an All-American oftentimes gets forgotten about. But it seems as if maybe due to the fact that he suffered a back injury, people have kind of forgotten about the greatness of Sky Moore, who, of course, was dominant last year, I mean, the year before prior to his injury. Instead of talking about Reuben Foster and the young man down in Florida, everybody was singing the praise of Sky Moore. How is he doing in regards to his uh, progress returning from injury, and what should we expect from him entering into spring spring game? Well, uh, as you know, Sky Moore was cleared from his injury two months ago, his hernia injury, so he's a full go at practice. Uh, he says he's not worried about re-injury. He's just going to give it all he has, and I uh, can't wait to hit somebody, and that's a, that's a quote from him. I think Sky Moore's in position to provide leadership to this defense, um, which they really need. They, they, they're a little bit weak at linebacker this year. They're thin, I mean. They've got a lot of unproven talent outside of uh, Sky Moore and Bryson Allen Williams. But Sky Moore's definitely going to have to step up. Um, he actually has the potential this year to be the only, play, the only defensive player in South Carolina history to, notch, to lead the team in tackles for four years. Um, so I think that Sky Moore's going to be a huge deal because his ability and coverage, his um, versatility – I mean, he can rush the passer, he can cover, and he can tackle. And he's a sure tackler. That's going to be – I mean, there's no way to even describe the impact that that's going to have on this defense this year. I mean, this defense that Carolina – that Coach Muschamp has put together at Carolina has some teeth, and I can't, I can't wait to see what they do this season. Absolutely. Now, of course, we have 156 days until week one of the college football season. However, we do have less than 24 hours until spring game, 12 o'clock in Columbia. But with some players besides the ones that you mentioned that you uh, that we should have our eye on on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball? Um, well, Coach Muschamp came out and said uh, last week that he's not going to have Hayden Hurst, Debo Samuel, Rico Dowdle, some of the proven guys who um, he's not, they're not going to see a lot of snaps because he already knows what they're getting in them. I think one player to watch for on offense is Shy Smith. He's a freshman coming in from Union County, and he's got the speed on that he can impact on the returning end and on the offensive side of the ball to give a real deep threat. He's been clocked in the low 4-4s, high 3-7s. I mean, I mean high 4, um, the low 4-4s and high 4-3s. He's got, I mean, game-breaking speed. And that's one guy that if they can find a way to get the ball in his hands, sort of like Tavon Austin was at West Virginia, that he's got the speed to really change games um, in that facet. On defense, I think freshman MJ Webb is another one. He's got the potential to play both defensive tackle and defensive end in like a Michael Bennett role for the Seahawks where he can uh, stop the run on first and second down and then slide inside on third down. I think MJ Webb is going to be big for this team, especially one that that lacked depth on the defensive end last year. You've got MJ Webb, and then another guy that I'm really excited about is uh, freshman Jemias Williams. He was kind of the cornerstone of this class. Um, He was the highest-rated prospect. And even though he's only five foot ten, um, whenever Deion Sanders endorses you as being the truth, being the next great cornerback, I mean that's a big deal. And so I think that his cover skills, um, compared with the depth in the defensive backfield that we have this year, that Carolina has this year, and his ability to return the football, Jemias Williams, Shai Smith, and MJ Webb are going to be serious people to watch out for in this spring game Saturday. Absolutely, of course we do know that this weekend promises to be. One to remember for the state of South Carolina, how it ultimately ends up turning out will make Monday even more memorable. I want to thank you for coming on to the show, and I look forward to talking more game cards throughout the offseason and during the season. All right, sounds fantastic. Thanks for having me on.
Now, of course, one of the things that's awesome about college sports, period, is the passion. The passion that is shared by both the players as well as the fans, as well as the town in which seems to embrace them as family. And no more has he seen that more president was taking place in the state of South Carolina. South, the state of South Carolina, in my opinion, is very different. Of course, we do know that you have cross-town rivalries. You see the house-divided side for different programs across the country, like with Alabama and Auburn and Florida State and the University of Florida. But one of the things that's awesome about the state of South Carolina is how everybody always comes together. It's quite rewarding. How often would you say that you will see a Clemson player root on and encourage the crosstown rival? That's something that you would never see in Florida. That's something that you would never see in Alabama. That was something that you would never see anywhere else around the country. It's amazing when you consider how the state has embraced both Clemson as well as South Carolina. And it's going to be very intriguing to see how this weekend ultimately ends up unfolding. We have a great weekend where we're going to get a chance to see the spring game. I'm going to go. It's going to be at 12 o'clock. We get a great opportunity to also see if, in fact, the women's basketball team can go ahead and make it to the national championship by beating Stanford. And we're able to also see if, in fact, Frank Martin will be able to duplicate a similar form of success by beating Gonzaga and possibly setting up a great matchup between possibly North Carolina. That would be awesome. That would be epic. And you know what? It reminds us yet again of why we love college sports so much. In college sports, where they don't get paid, even though they should get paid, when they play, they're doing it for their towns. When they play, they're doing it for their families. When they play, they're doing it for their programs. Because at some particular point, they realize that maybe the thoughts of being able to get get paid to play professionally is no longer a possibility. But being able to be a player who's able to make a lasting impression on the university and on the program that you play for is something that can last forever. And in my opinion, that's why I love college football specifically more than NFL, more than any other sport, more than anything that we see people get paid for professionally. We have 24 hours before the spring game. We have 48 hours before we find out the fate of both the men's and women's South Carolina basketball programs. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm excited. Uh, But never again, nevertheless, what will happen? We're definitely going to see what's happening. And, of course, of course, we're definitely going to see what's up. Now, for the rest of the show, I oftentimes find myself, when I look at stories and things that are going on in the world of college sports, I oftentimes find myself relating them to quotes that I've seen in movies. And you know what? That's what's happening tonight. And so when I saw, when I heard, when I read about UNC being in the Final Four for the fourth time, being in the Elite Eight for the eighth time, all under the helm of Roy Williams, who, of course, has won a national championship, the quote that came to mind was this. Tom, let me hear you say, that ain't right. And you may ask, Denmark, what do you mean it ain't right? Well, the reason why I say it ain't right is because when I look at Penn State, when I look at USC, who, of course, played an epic Rose Bowl, epic, I find myself thinking about how swiftly the NCAA made a decision 
about the fate of Penn State and about the fate of USC and about the fate of the University of Miami. And I say to myself, while the NCAA brought the hammer down to all three of these prospective football programs, rather harshly, I might add, I say to myself, during that whole time, the NCAA has still yet to make a decision about UNC. And I just truly believe. Let me hear you say, that ain't right. I mean, it really makes no sense. It's downright absurd. Now, of course, I, for one, am not going to sit here and compare the atrocities that took place at all four of those prospective football programs, taking cash at USC, taking cash at Miami, Sandusky at Penn State, and academic misconduct at UNC. And it's just rather weird when you look at all four of those situations that I explained to you, and yet throughout the whole entire time, UNC has remained untarnished. UNC has not lost scholarships. USC, I'm sorry, I said USC. UNC has not lost scholarships. UNC has not been banned from NCAA tournaments. UNC has been able to continue to roll as if everything's A-OK while USC and Penn State were decimated, got scholarships pulled, got coaches fired, all things that, of course, in some instances I believe were justified. But nevertheless, when you look at how harsh the NCAA comes down on college football programs, it's rather disturbing when you see how much, how quickly, how much of a pass the NCAA gives to basketball. I found it downright ridiculous and downright absurd when I heard the explanation from Rick Pitino, who explained away the prostitute scandal in Louisville by saying he didn't know about it. And I couldn't help but laugh as I looked at his roster and I saw that he had players from all around the world, had players from Senegal, had players from the Middle East. So you're telling me that your coaching staff is aware of talented potential difference makers from all over the world, but yet you don't know what's going on less than 10 minutes away from your home? Find it downright ludicrous that with the academic scandal that took place at UNC, that Roy Williams, whose players were shot in the cancer, already boldly said that Roy Williams was aware of the academic scandal that took place there. I just find it downright absurd that yet again, there's still yet to be a decision. However, when we look at how quickly, how swiftly the NCAA brought the hammer down on Reggie Bush, on Mr. McNair, on USC, it's just absurd. When we looked at the Rose Bowl game this past, what, three, four months ago, we looked at that game differently. Although, of course, it was definitely a great game, it served as a banner to both of those prospective programs for finally being able to overcome the atrocities that took place under prior head coaches. It served as a banner 
that these particular programs now have rightfully emerged from the scandals that took place at both of their prospective institutions. And, of course, it was also a great game. But nevertheless, that was a journey. In the case of USC, that took three coaches. It took, I guess, two coaches, James Franklin and, of course, leading to James Franklin. But yet, when it comes to college basketball, called Nashville Hall of Famers, Rick Pitino, Roy Williams, they still were able to participate in the NCAA tournament. They still suffered no type of blemish on their records. They still suffered no type of punishment. While the University of Miami, with its own cheating scandal, had to go through, what, four coaches? Before they got Spartan, Al Golden, the guy from Florida who's now the Florida defensive coordinator, so many coaches. And it's a stark contrast when you consider that the same person, the same institution, the same entity handing down punishment would deal with situations oh so differently just because one deals with the pigskin while the other one, of course, deals with the hardwood. Maybe Michael Jordan was right when he said the ceiling is the roof. Because it seems as if right now, as people continue to spout out the praises of Roy Williams and the UNC basketball program, that maybe the ceiling is the roof. Because I don't see any point in time where any type of punishment is going to come down. And like my caller, Shane Lunas, who covers the Penn State Nittany Lions, said, I mean, we see down at Baylor that they're already asking for more documentation as compared to down at UNC where all the documentation's already been submitted. Particular teachers have already been fired and dismissed and filed lawsuits for wrongful dismissal and been already compensated for doing such. Yet the UNC basketball program continues to run untarnished, believe that some outcome's going to come out right, that some type of punishment is going to be handed down right, or... Maybe Chris Rock was right when Paul, he said Let me hear you say, that ain't right. <laughs> How many? But you know what, though? Despite the inconsistencies of the NCAA, we still have 156 days until kickoff, and we still have a lot of things that we're looking forward to seeing watch unfold. I'm intrigued by several stories that I believe we're going to define the 2017 college football season. Probably was going to be Bill Snyder, Hall of Fame coach, Kansas State. Probably going to be his last year. We wish him nothing but the best as he continues to fight his throat cancer. This year, I expect Kirk LaFriend's done in Iowa to be nearing the end of his tenure as the head coach down there. And one of the things that's often interesting about college football is why we enjoy this because it allows us and gives us an excuse to be able to feel young again, to be able to enjoy and reflect on the times we were in college, we were just that little kid who was pretty naive about all the realities of life, and we were just simply able to enjoy the game on the gridiron. We're simply able to enjoy watching the greats, Bobby Bowden build up Florida State, watching Pete Carroll 
do miraculous things at USC, despite the fact that he was the not the first choice at USC. Watching Mac Brown bring back respectability to a once proud Texas program. So this 2017 year is going to be one that's going to be unforgettable. It's going to be intriguing to see how the Big 12, how college football pays honor to its great coaches who are nearing the end of its great tenure. I'm intrigued to see how Bill Snyder will be embraced nationally, as, of course, his imprints on college football are widespread. From Clemson, from Clemson with the defensive coordinator with Brent Venables, from Colorado with the defensive coordinator Jim Levette, from Oklahoma to Arkansas with uh, Brett Bielema. All these coaches got their tutelage under the great Bill Snyder. And I'm intrigued to see how Bill Snyder will go out in his final season. Kansas State, of course, my favorite team, enters into this year as a dark horse. We're not going to be wowed away by five-star, four-stars. We're going to be wowed up by heart and player development. It's going to be very intriguing to see the steps that Bill Snyder and the Kansas State program makes this spring as well as this offseason. And I, for one, am definitely excited. Now, of course, I would be remiss I did not end my show by encouraging you guys to subscribe to my podcast, Countdown to Kickoff on iTunes, on Stitcher, and also to follow me on Instagram where I share all of my personality and all of my sarcasm. That's not just limited to college football, but, of course, sports worldwide. As I bring the show to a close, I want to remind you guys to remember that sports give us an opportunity to take a time out from life and all the things that I was sitting here to break, stressing us out. Well, thank you for taking a break with us. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Countdown to Kickoff. Our show airs live every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If, in fact, you missed the show, make sure you subscribe to the podcast by typing in count and the number two and down. One word. While you're at it, make sure you also follow the latest happenings in the world of sport with us at Sports and the number two. And you know what? Right, if you've gone that far, be sure and check out our website for the latest happenings as well at eatdrinksleepsports.com. Till next time, college sports football fans, stay tuned. I know I will. Peace.